Amen. Thank you all again for being here today. And I just want to publicly thank my wife. Um, I would not have finished the race. I would not have reached this day of retirement if it hadn't been for Connie's encouragement and love, uh, her straight talk at times, <laughs> her uh, patience with me, uh, preponderance of gracious forgiveness and love for me. We've been married for 44 years. We've been together for nearly 48 years. Um, she has been a wonderful partner in ministry with me and such a supporter. And I'm looking forward to uh, spending a lot more time with her in the coming uh, years. Um, she has made sacrifices that only God understands. It's not an easy thing to be a pastor's wife, but I think she has done a stellar job, don't you? <laughs> Somebody dropped a gift off to us yesterday. I was doing my final clean out in the office and I got a call and, and uh, the wife said, oh, I just love Connie. He said, she is so real. And, uh, and I think that is certainly true. She is authentic and real and she has been such a blessing to me. Um, my sermon this morning is based on the same text that, uh, that I preach from the very first time I preached in church, which was on June 12, 1983. Very first sermon. And um, this is the manuscript. Uh, I've preached from it several times early in my ministry. It's marked up. There's things I marked out, changed, etc. But it's a, a, a foundational passage for me, just part of my core beliefs what we are looking at here from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And um, I want to read to you beginning with verse 13 through verse 20. Listen now to God's Word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and quicken our hearts, open our minds, and enlarge our capacity to love and to care and to embrace Jesus. In this we pray in his name. Amen. I have a copy of Newsweek magazine from 1979. The cover was a Christmas edition, 
and it had one of those classic paintings of Jesus and the question, who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? Newsweek and Time and U.S. News and World Report and other major publications, news publications that I grew up with as a kid and as a young adult, about every three or four years around the holidays, Easter or Christmas, uh, would have a special edition with Jesus' picture on the cover, exploring with historians and theologians and philosophers and even skeptics the, the person of Jesus. How can we strip off all the layers that have been imposed on Jesus, frankly, by the church and by history, uh, by our culture, by our, our, our own personal ideas of who Jesus ought to be? How can we get down to the core of Jesus and understand who this historical individual was? Is he who he said he was? Is, is he actually a living Savior as the church contends? Well, this article didn't answer the question outright, and in the subsequent issues, um, they still were struggling to understand the person of Jesus. And i got to tell you, I have been a disciple of Jesus for 50 years now, and I am still trying to understand him. I am still longing to be more like him. Jesus is far greater, uh, far more magnificent. Uh, he, he is far more loving than I could ever love, far more powerful than I could ever imagine, um, far more engaged in my life and in this world than, than I could ever conceive. Jesus is a great Savior. And so I tell you today that I believe in Jesus. But I also believe in the church. And, and not everybody believes in the church anymore. In a cover story in Newsweek, just a few years back, Andrew Sullivan wrote a penetrating story. Uh, and there was a picture of a kind of a contemporary youthful Jesus on the cover that, that uh, someone had, had portrayed. And the headline on the magazine said, Forget the church, follow Jesus. Forget the church, follow Jesus. And he said in the context of the article, which explored a lot of the, the weaknesses and frailties of the church and just outright uh, corruption that has surfaced in the church with regard to child sexual abuse by priests and get-rich evangelists, and churches that have become overly enmeshed with political leaders and all the rest. He says, ignore them and embrace Jesus. And a lot of people in the younger generation are doing that. They have left the institutional church. Some have left our church. You have children, grandchildren, that no longer identify with Christianity as an institution or even as a movement, but they still like Jesus. Some of them still love Jesus. They love Jesus' ethics, his example. They love him as a revolutionary and as, um, as, as one who loved and cared for the poor. Um, they loved his humility, but they also loved his, his, his outrageousness at times, his boldness, 
his courage. They would say, we believe in Jesus, we just don't believe in the church. Can one believe in Jesus and not believe in the church? I've been struggling with this issue for many years now. I'm here to say to you in my last sermon to this congregation that even though I've been wounded by the church and I have seen countless people wound one another within the church, even though I have witnessed a lot of divisiveness and hurt and even hate among God's people in the church during 37 years of, of ministry, even though I have seen the church do harm to its reputation, its character and, and its witness in its own communities where it exists, even though I have seen it with all of its imperfections, I still believe in the church. And the reason I believe in the church is that Jesus believes in the church. The reason I believe in the church is that Jesus loves the church. And who is the church? The church is not a building. This church has been scattered. The church was never closed or canceled. The church was scattered, but now we are beginning to gather back together again. The church is, is you, all of you. And I love you. I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I love all of you. And I really mean that. And it's been such a wonderful journey for me these last 13 years to see the love of God grow in us as a congregation. And to see where that love has led us and has taken us in, in these past years together. I'm going to be very disappointed if Georgetown First doesn't continue to grow in love. Because Jesus, the Word made flesh, God incarnate among us, was love. God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We are the church of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, as Susan sang at the beginning of this service. He is with us and He is for us. And so I believe in you, even as I say goodbye to you today. I will always believe in you. Because I believe in Jesus. And Jesus, in this passage here in Matthew 16, called forth faith. In his disciples. After spending um, maybe two years with them, discipling them, teaching them, uh, performing miracles in their presence, uh, you, know, you know, making them learn more about God, who God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit are. He takes them to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Any of y'all ever been there at Peneus, which is in northern Palestine? Yeah. Uh, on our trip to the Holy Land, uh, yeah, the Wage of Ben, we, we were so fortunate to get to take a side trip up there. It's the first and only time 
uh, I think I've been there. Maybe we, we made a return visit, one of our other pilgrimages. But it's really an amazing place because out of this cliff is this rushing fresh water that just comes out of a cave that forms the headwaters of the Jordan River. The river that runs through uh, the Holy Land, the river where Jesus was baptized, where John the Baptist baptized his disciples. Um, it's the same river that I've baptized people in during pilgrimages to the Holy Land. But, but up at the very headwaters of the Jordan River, out of this cliff flows this fresh water. And it's a big stream. It's a lot of water that's coming out of there. And there's a cave there. And in the cliff, there are carved idols to the god Pan. And the traditions of this pagan religion included in ancient times child sacrifice. People would be thrown into this foreboding-looking cave that's in the side of that mountain. Uh, this represented darkness and evil and paganism and even the Roman and uh, the Greek and Roman domination of the Holy Land. And it was no accident that Jesus took the disciples there to secure this profession of faith, this confession from Peter's lips. With this, no doubt, as the background, he asked them first, he said, what do people say about me? Now, if it were today, there would be several public opinion polls, right? Uh, what do you believe about Jesus? And we'd watch, you know, on the cable news networks, the latest polling results for Jesus. This is what people are thinking about Jesus, what they're saying about Jesus. But this was just gossip. This was talk. And the disciples said, they began to say, oh, well, some of you say uh, that you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist, keep in mind, had lost his head. He had been murdered, had been killed as God's prophet. And uh, some thought maybe Jesus was John come back to life. Uh, others said, oh, maybe you're, you're Jer some say you're Jeremiah. You're one of the, uh, the other prophets that has been reincarnated, that's come back. Or maybe Elijah, the one who is, is believed to be the forerunner of Messiah. That, in fact, is who John the Baptist was. But there, was, there were some good things, good people associated with Jesus as possible identities. There were some other things said about him. Some thought he was a madman, a son of a demon... Uh, he had been called a bastard. There, there were bad names associated with Jesus and his origin. But they only mentioned the good ones. But really, Jesus is not that interested. This is like a, a, a discussion starter, <laughs> an icebreaker. He was not really interested in, in what public opinion had to say about him as much as what the disciples were ready to say about him. Now, in a church this big, it's always amazing to me, there's a few people that are not quite yet there when it comes to Jesus. They still come to church some. They may even attend a Bible study or a home group, but they have not yet come to a place of surrender, of yieldedness to Jesus. They, they have not yet, yet found enough faith, enough uh, truth in their life to say, I believe in Jesus. 
I love Jesus. So Jesus is trying to establish just where the disciples are at this moment. And obviously one of them, who in some sense may have been speaking for all of them, but certainly for himself, Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. You're the one that we've been looking for. You're the one hundreds of years ago the prophets spoke of. You have finally come and I believe in you, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't, you didn't come to this conclusion on your own. He said, nobody, no human being taught you this. The Father has revealed this to you. And Peter's life took a radical turn at this point. And he became, uh, you know, the old timers talk about people being pillars of the church. Well, Peter became a pillar of the church. Uh, Peter, whose name met, meant rock, uttered a confession that would become foundational to the church that Jesus would build. And what Jesus says next tells me that we should not give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. Please don't give up on Jesus, but don't give up on his church. Uh, church can be frustrating. Church can be hard. And you're about to go through a season, another season of change as a church. But don't give up on the church. Don't stop loving the church. Don't stop believing in the church. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overwhelm it, will not defeat it. The gates of Hades associated with death and darkness and gloom, uh, the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. Now, we've had moments as a church um, where we haven't behaved very well. We've been divided amongst ourselves. We've done our witness harm in the community, right? Some of us grew up in churches and saw a lot of really ungodly, un-Jesus-like behavior. But I'm just admonishing you. I'm exhorting you. I'm pleading with you. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on Jesus. Love Jesus. But if you love Jesus, you've also, you've also got to love his church. Because Jesus loves his church. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And that church is you. It's all of you. All of you make up the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've had uh, a number of people say to me in recent days... You've got big shoes to fill. But as I was trying to get our, our remaining stuff in our car last night, man, it was challenging. I think it's, it's stacked up to the ceiling in the back and the trunk is full uh, so that we could leave after services today. As I was doing that, I was thinking about that and I just thought, Jesus, it's never been about my shoes. It's about your sandals. He's got mighty big sandals to fill, doesn't he? And whatever good has been accomplished through me and in me in this congregation and during my 37 years of ministry, 
is, is all about Jesus. Jesus has done it in and through me. The Holy Spirit has done it in and through me. It's not me. It's Jesus. I had a professor in college, Dr. Johnny Miller. He's well into his 80s, I think, now. But he told us in class one day, he said, keep your dirty hands off God's glory. He said, most of you are going to be pastors. He said, don't be carried away by the temptation of power and money and women. He said, don't get carried away with your success. He said, if any good is to happen through and in you, it's Jesus who will do it. And you give God the glory because God will, won't share his glory with any man. And I believe that's so. And I ask God's forgiveness for the times when I've uh, perhaps taken too much credit, any credit, for any good thing that has been done in my ministry. Because today I want to give Him glory. He is the one who has done it and will continue to do it. Yes, I love the church. I believe in the church. And I believe in you. And I close with this story that is told by Fred Craddock. He was a longtime pastor and a professor of homiletics at Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. And I love this account. Uh, Dr. Craddock had a, a, a wonderful, godly mother, de very, very devoted to Christ. But he had a dad who was highly skeptical. Mr. Craddock did not believe in Jesus. In fact, he had no use whatsoever for the church. His mother was a pillar of the community, Fred Craddock says. His father wanted nothing to do with it. New preachers would go to the Craddock house and would visit his dad. And when they would leave, he'd just say, well, he just wants another number, another member on his rolls. Some of the uh, lay members of the church, the people would come, you know, uh, to evangelize him, to witness to him, to invite him to a revival, whatever, try to get him to come to church, and they'd leave and he'd say, oh, they just want my money. He never went to church. And then one day he was diagnosed with a terminal disease. And Fred said, I got a, I got a, a call that my dad was dying. And he got on a plane and he flew to his parents' home. And when he walked into his dad's bedroom, the walls were covered with cards and there were flowers setting on, on several places, several pieces of furniture in the room. And he said, his mama told him that the refrigerator was full of food made by church members. Fred said that as he stood there by his daddy's bed, in his weak voice, he called for him to come closer. And his father whispered into his ear these words. Tell them I was wrong. And Fred said, Daddy, what do you mean you were wrong? And his father said, I was wrong about the church. Tell them at my funeral that I was wrong about the church. In these final days of this man's life, who had little or no faith at all, he came to believe. He came to believe in the people 
of that church and in the Lord they served because of one thing. Because they loved him unconditionally. This angry old skeptic uh, became a believer because of love. And if there's one thing that you take away from my 13 years of ministry here, I hope it's this. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen.